Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. If this is your first time in church for a while, <laughs> welcome. Uh, he picked a great morning to be with us. Uh, I should explain, uh, this isn't a passage we've picked thinking, well, the church really needs to hear this kind of randomly. No, we are working through uh, the book of Revelation, and this is the passage we're landing in today. Uh, a couple of quick disclaimers uh, before we dig a bit deeper into all of this. First of all, uh, if you are here today and you wouldn't count yourself as a follower of Jesus, you need to know this isn't Jesus talking to you. No, this is primarily a passage for God's people. Secondly, if you're here today and you are fighting with sin, you're, you're trying to resist temptation in your personal life and it's tough. And if truth be told, you slip up from time to time. But through it all, you desperately want to walk with Jesus. You need to know this passage isn't primarily addressed to you either. Despite those disclaimers, can we all agree, this is still a tough passage, isn't it? But it's important that we receive everything that Jesus has to say to us because if we don't what we can do is we can end up building this caricature of Jesus where he looks and thinks exactly like us in absolutely everything he loves what we love he approves of all the things we approve of and we don't really end up worshiping Jesus so much as merely an image of ourselves and so Although what we're going to see as we dig into this passage may well confront some of what we think, and if I do my job properly, it will make all of us feel uncomfortable at some point, I do believe we must allow Jesus' words to challenge and change us. Now, a few words of background before we study this passage a little more closely. If you've been around uh, the last few weeks, you'll know that the letter to the church in Thyatira is actually one of seven letters written to actual churches dotted around first century Turkey. Thyatira was the smallest and the least important city of the seven, which probably explains why I've tried to do my research in preparation and found there aren't actually a whole lot of records that still exist that mention this city. It wasn't a famous city. It wasn't a popular city. For the most part, it wasn't an influential city. And yet, perhaps surprisingly, this is the longest letter of the seven. And so we mustn't fall into the trap of assuming that small means insignificant or unworthy of careful attention. Also to say, this is the fourth and therefore the middle letter of the seven, which in the ancient way of structuring things could well indicate that this is the heart or the centre of the message to the seven churches. And, as we've been seeing over the last few weeks, each of these letters follows a very similar pattern. They give us a fresh revelation of Jesus, an encouragement of the good, a critique of the bad, 
and a promise for those who overcome. And we're going to follow that simple structure as we now dig a bit deeper into this letter. So first of all, what we get here is a revelation of Jesus. Verse 18, this is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. Straight away, we're confronted with Jesus, the Son of God. And as the Son of God, he has absolute and final authority over his church. And so, the members of the church might well have their own views of how things should be done, but ultimately, it's his church. And so, what he says goes. We're also told here that his eyes are like flames of fire, and his feet are like polished bronze. It's like he is burning from head to toe. With his fiery eyes, Jesus sees and judges. His gaze penetrates beneath the surface. Nothing is hidden from him. And he burns all the time with a pure, jealous love for his people. Which means that looking into the eyes of Jesus is the most terrifying thing and the most glorious thing at one and the same time. There's the potential of being completely exposed by just one glance and consumed in the fire of judgment, or being consumed with his fiery love as it hits home that we are the apple of his eye. And so, although this passage is going to challenge and convict us. All the time, it's a warning infused with the very deepest love. And ultimately, its motivation is to draw us deeper into that love. And so, against that backdrop, and for our instruction and encouragement, let's now turn our attention to what Jesus says to this church in Thyatira. We'll start with the encouragement of the good. Verse 19, Jesus says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Jesus commends their love. They genuinely care for one another. He he commends their faith. They are good, faithful people in the church, even though, as we're going to see, some of their leaders at least are compromised. And he commends their service. This is a church that practically cares for the needs of others. He commends their patient endurance. As we've been seeing in previous weeks, there was this very real threat to the lives of followers of Jesus. The church was facing acute persecution. And yet, despite that, they had still courageously persevered. And then, On top of all of that, they're constantly improving in all of these things. Unlike the Ephesian church that we looked at the other week, who had neglected their first love, the church in Thyatira were growing in love and maturity. Now look, 
We as a church are certainly not perfect in all of these areas, but I do think this is a pretty good description of our church. I might be biased. In fact, I am biased ever so slightly, but I love the faithfulness here. I love the genuine sense of community and family, the love we have for one another. I love the perseverance, the maturity that we have in this room. And I know this might not be everyone's experience all of the time, and I know there is always room for growth in all of this. But before going any further, I just want to say thank you. Part of the message of these verses is that Jesus sees And these things bring delight to him. And so, well done. And let's keep growing in all of these areas. Let's not be complacent. Let's have a sober view of ourselves. Let's acknowledge there are some things among us that bring pleasure to Jesus. And let's keep seeking to grow in all of those ways. But, that being said... There is also, as you've seen as we had it read to us a few moments ago, a pretty stinging critique of the church in Thyatira that I think probably we need to hear as well. So let's turn our attention to the critique of the bad. Here's the big idea. No matter how much good you are doing in community, it will not cover up sin that's left in your life. Tolerating sin will not be excused by genuine love for one another or faithfulness in other areas. Verse 20, Jesus says, But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Now, just to say, this warning about Jezebel has sometimes in some church circles been interpreted as a dismissive rebuke of all women. But that is absolutely not what it's saying here. Rather than representing all women, most commentators see Jezebel as a symbolic name for one specific woman in the specific church that Jesus is writing to in Thyatira, who was doing the kind of same things as Jezebel was doing in the famous Old Testament story. If you remember, back in the Old Testament, Jezebel was this foreign queen who introduced Baal worship to Israel. That they didn't worship Baal instead of the Lord. No, they worshiped Baal as well as the Lord. Which is why Elijah stands up in front of them and calls them to stop wavering between the two. In 1 Kings 18, he stands up and says, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. It's like Jesus is using the name Jezebel to show that the same divided loyalty is present 
in Thyatira. People gather like this and worship Jesus on Sundays, but the rest of the week, their work lives or their inner lives are stories of compromise. And the warning here is that Jesus sees. Remember, his eyes are like flames of fire. That those areas of compromise in your life, he sees. That those thoughts, those things you think you're doing in hiding are not hidden from him. Those things that perhaps you are rightly frightened that others might find out about, he already knows. That those things you have managed to rationalize away, convincing yourself they don't really matter. They absolutely matter to him. You may think right now you're getting away with it. You may assume that because things are going pretty well for you right now, well, it must be fine. But verses 21 to 23 here offer a pretty stark and frightening warning. Jesus says, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. Now look, whether or not these verses are literal, I think the meaning is pretty clear. Basically, in this life, or for sure in the life to come, compromise leads to judgment. The great lie of the enemy all the time is that we can sin without consequence. But it's just not true. The one who searches out the thoughts and the intentions of every person will see to it that we get what we deserve. But that being said, there are two really important things I want to highlight and underline about Jesus' response here. First of all is his patience. Verse 21, Jesus says, I gave her time to repent. Jesus doesn't rush to judgment. In his kindness, in his mercy, he gives time to repent. And this is something we're actually going to keep seeing as we work through Revelation. It's full of pretty severe and frightening judgments, but always and everywhere there is held out the prospect of deliverance for those who repent. But whatever you do, don't allow this to cause complacency. This patience isn't indefinite. If you don't seize the opportunity to repent, and now judgment will follow for sure. Second thing I want to highlight is his justice. Jesus' judgment is never gratuitous, never disproportionate, is always fair. In other words, the punishment will fit the crime. 
And so here, by way of illustration, the bed of adultery is turned into a bed of suffering. There's a link between the judgment and what's been done wrong. And so to summarize all of this, the bottom line is nothing is hidden from Jesus. He sees every bit of compromise in our lives. And this is no small matter. This couldn't be more serious. It might feel like we're kind of getting away with it, but he is just, and judgment will certainly come. But in his patience, he gives us an opportunity to repent. And if we reject all of this, then it will catch up with us and we will get what we deserve. And so it would be wrong if I didn't just pause at this moment and appeal to you right now where you know that there's compromise in your life. Won't you please do something about it? I know a lot of us are in small discipleship groups in the church. Why not pluck up the courage to confess what you're struggling with, with those two or three friends? And if you're not in one of those groups, won't you please reach out to your community group leader? And if you're not in a community group, well, grab me or one of the uh, blue t-shirted welcome team at the end. They can introduce you uh, to one of our group leaders. I get that there's a big part of your mind say, well, that's never going to happen. You might be worried about what other people will think of you. You might be concerned about the consequences. But I think this passage wakes us up to reality. Jesus already sees it all. And what he thinks matters most. And the consequences of rejecting his loving, his kind, his patient offer of repentance are infinitely worse than anything else you could possibly imagine. How are we all doing? Cheery little one today. Pretty tough stuff, isn't it? But all the while, it's driven by love. Jesus' warnings are fiery because of his fiery love for us. He cares way too much not to say it as it really is. That being said, one more warning to touch on before we finally move on to the wonderful promise that's lurking right at the end of these verses for those who overcome. You see, the main thrust of this whole passage isn't so much towards compromise in our own individual lives. As serious as that is, it's more the fact that we're tolerant towards these things happening in the church around us. Jesus' chief complaint against this church in Thyatira was not that, that or, or was that they permitted, uh, it was that they tolerated this church member, this woman Jezebel, to keep doing what she was doing. In his mind, the greatest threat to the church was not attack from outside, but unfaithfulness within the church. Listen, resisting external opposition isn't enough. We have to be ruthless with tolerance of compromise inside the church family. Now, just to be clear, tolerance in and of itself 
isn't necessarily a problem. Tolerance can be incredibly good in the right place, and it can be incredibly bad and produce deadly compromise in the wrong place. There's a kind of tolerance in society that allows people with different beliefs to live together in peace and respect each other as human beings. And historically, Christians and the church have been at the very forefront of advocating for this kind of tolerance. And that is an incredibly good thing. But the problem with some in this church in Thyatira is that their tolerance is directed in the wrong place. Remember, their love and care for others has already been commended by Jesus. That is a good thing. They're they're out there doing acts of love in their city, and that is to be applauded. However, in their wide, indiscriminate love in the world, they've ended up somewhat undiscerning in their church family. Out of misplaced love, they've ended up tolerating compromise that threatens to destroy not just individual lives, but undermine the whole witness of the church. They're tolerating in God's house, among God's people, teaching and behavior that threatens to lead God's people astray. And that categorically is wrong. Now, by way of a swift aside, here's where I think this might land for us. As a church, and bear with me on this, the explanation will follow. As a church, we need to be more like a peach than a coconut. Let me explain. Instead of being coconut-like, soft on the inside but hard to outsiders, Jesus wants us to be more like a peach, soft on the outside, always full of grace and kindness and welcome to outsiders, but nonetheless with a ruthless and robust holiness at the centre. Rather than raging and shaking our fists constantly at all the sin in the world out there, whilst condoning compromise within the church, it's to be the complete opposite. And so, all that being said, the message of this passage, I think, is that all the time, the call of Jesus is to holiness and not compromise or immorality. He's calling us to purity and fidelity to him, not spiritual adultery and compromise. He calls us to follow him and not follow the world. As John Tyson puts it, when the church looks like the world, you have a sick church. When the church acts like the world, you have an impotent church. When the church plays with the world, you have an unfaithful church. And sadly, That is what seems to have been happening here in Thyatira. But having warned them against this, Jesus then finally turns his attention to the committed core in the church. And he gives them 
this wonderful promise to those who overcome. Verse 24, Jesus says, but I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching. Deeper truths, as they call them, depths of Satan, actually. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. It's like when you hold tightly to Jesus, the culture will think you are insane. But you don't have to do more than simply cling to Jesus. You don't have to apologize. You don't have to prove others wrong. You don't have to justify yourself. You just have to stay loyal to Jesus. And to those who persevere in this way to the end, Jesus says this, to all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my father and I will also give them the morning star. First of all then, there's this promise to those who keep going faithfully to the end of authority and power. Jesus has received authority from his father to rule over all the nations, which is why we read a prayer to him earlier on, to intervene in what's going on in the world right now. He has that authority. And in the end, he will share that authority with his people. But to rule with Jesus in this way in the future, you must be faithful in the present. It's like being ruthless with compromise in our own lives and in the life of the church is proving and testing for ruling in the age to come. And then, secondly, there's the promise here of being given the morning star, which might on the surface seem ever so slightly random, and I didn't see anyone's faces really perk up at that point, like, well, that is the reason to really keep going. I mean, what's that about? This is a reference to Jesus himself. In Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. The morning star is Christ himself, which surely is the greatest possible thing he could promise his church. He will give us himself. We will see him face to face. We will be his and he will be ours. The ultimate reward for those who overcome is we get to be with Jesus. We're raised to shine with him for all eternity. All of which is unbelievably magnificent. But the letter ends with this challenge. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. In other words, it's possible to hear all of this and not listen. And so... Coming into land, and 
Dan's going to lead us in a song in a moment, uh, if you wonder what he's doing behind me. <laughs> but there is a choice before each and every one of us right now. The choice is this. Persisting with compromise in our own lives, turning a blind eye to it, tolerating it in the life of the church, which you've got to understand will result in us experiencing God's just judgment. Choose that. Or alternatively, repent and refuse to tolerate any sin whatsoever among us and keep on obeying Jesus to the end, which will result in us being given more of Jesus himself and ruling with him in the age to come. Put like that, it seems like a pretty straightforward choice, doesn't it? But for whatever reason, the church in Thyatira didn't heed this warning History tells us, years later, this church got sucked in by another false teacher who claimed to have better teachings than the apostles. He reinterpreted the clear teaching of Scripture. He ended up producing a very different face. And this church died. They didn't learn. They didn't repent. They didn't respond. And so this isn't a theoretical warning. These things really can happen. That the church can be destroyed, it can be wiped out. Now, sadly, we can't do anything about the church in Thyatira. It's way too late for them, but it's not too late for us today. And right now, there is this loving, fiery invitation from Jesus to throw off all compromise. I just want to say, if you're feeling the challenge of this, if you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you're aware of things in your life right now that are compromise, that are sin, that are grievous to Jesus, who sees and does know, won't you receive this as a loving invitation to restoration and life? Please don't put it off because there might not be another chance. Yes, Jesus is patient, but his patience is not indefinite. You might be thinking, but you don't know what I've done. I don't know what you've done, but Jesus does. He's seen it all, and he invites you to come to him right now. So let's come to him.